Lamentations chapter 3 this morning. Lamentations chapter 3. I had not intended to preach the entire chapter of Lamentations 3. Um, I tended to preach one single verse, but the more I got into it, the more I, I just, I don't know. God's Word truly is active and alive. We begin in verse 52. Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 52, and this is what the word says. Jeremiah says, I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. I called on your name, O Lord. From the depths of the pit you heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You've taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You've seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You've heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. You will cur your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. Context is a very helpful thing when reading. Like knowing what's behind the scenes can make something more powerful. I'll give an example. When I was in college, one of my pastors, one of my mentors, someone I loved and valued, was removed from leadership in the church because they were living a double life. They were disqualified from ministry, removed from leadership. It was a very difficult thing to watch as a young man someone I loved and vowed, respected, they were disqualified, removed. They were put on probation for like 18 months. Restoration to the, his wife, restoration to the church like leadership. They had to just, they were meeting with elders every single like month, just praying through things. This person wasn't allowed to teach they weren't allowed to preach. They weren't allowed to lead music. They were on the shelf for a season. Deservedly so. 18 months later, it was a random Sunday. And this man stands up to sing a song on a Sunday. Now, to most people, it was a normal Sunday, a normal song. To those of us who knew this man, who had watched him fall from grace, had watched him humble himself before the church, before his family, before the Lord. When he began to sing, many of us who knew and loved his, him and his family, a few of us in that crowd were crying because we knew the story behind the story. But behind that song was a story of redemption and restoration. To many, it was a good song, but to us, that song, whenever we hear it, Tear falls because of the context, the story behind the story. Well, in Jeremiah 3, there's a story behind the story. We read these words, and there's poetry, 
there's drama in them. But if you know what's going on in Jeremiah's life, it makes the story have a little more oomph. So I'm going to go to Jeremiah 38. I'm going to read this passage in Jeremiah 38. The first six verses. At this moment in Jeremiah's uh, ministry, Jeremiah's a prophet. Now, okay, so when Jeremiah wrote Lamentations, he was an old man. He's living in Egypt, a refugee. His homeland of Jerusalem has been broke down, burned down, destroyed. In Jeremiah 38, we're going back in time. We're going back to when Jerusalem was still standing. The walls were strong. The army was mighty. And Jeremiah is prophesying to the nation that judgment is coming. Let's see what happens. Jeremiah 38, verse 1. Now, Shephatiah, the son of Matan, Gedaliah, the son of Peshur, Jukol, the son of Shelemiah, and Peshur, the son of Malchiah, heard the words that Jeremiah was saying to all the people. So here's Jeremiah's message, Jeremiah's sermon. Thus says the Lord, He who stays in this city shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence. But he who goes out to the Chaldeans shall live. He shall have his life as a prize of war and live. Thus says the Lord, This city shall surely be given into the hand of the army of the king of Babylon and be taken. That's a bad message. Imagine me getting up on Sunday morning and saying, America, we're the bad guy, and we're going to get our heads kicked in. People would be like, boo! Pledge of Allegiance, boo! People would go crazy, right? Well, Jeremiah is in Israel, and he's saying, we're going to lose this fight. God's against us in this fight, and they're going to burn us to the ground. We're going to die by the sword, by famine, by pestilence. Our only hope, because God's going to judge us, I'm going to Egypt. You want to come with me? You'll live too. Not that's not a very happy-go-lucky Sunday morning message. That's what he's preaching. In the streets to the people. How do they react? Verse 4. Then the officials said to the king, Let this man be put to death. For he's weakening the hands of the soldiers who are left in the city and the hands of all the people by speaking such words to them. For this man is not seeking the welfare of this people, but their harm. They're like, this guy is making the army weak. This guy's making the people scared. Shut him up. Put him to death. But Jeremiah's right. Like, they are all going to die. He may be a stick in the mud. He may be a, a doom and gloom preacher, but he's right. And he's trying to warn his friends, we're going to die. Get out of here before it's too late. And I talked about it a few weeks ago. What happens in Jerusalem when Babylon surrounds that city is horrific. He's trying to save them. But all they hear is, you're not on our team anymore. The king, Zedekiah, says, Behold, he is in your hands. The king can do nothing against you. He's like, listen, i, I got an army coming against me. i got to deal with this. You guys deal with Jeremiah any way you want. I'm out. So what did they do to the prophet? So they took Jeremiah and they cast him into the cistern of Malchiah, the king's son, which was in the court of the guard, letting Jeremiah down by ropes. And there was no water in the cistern, 
but only mud. And Jeremiah sank in the mud. They decided not to kill the guy. They don't put him in jail either. Like, jail would be kind of cool. Like, jail, got a bed, got a room, maybe bread once a day, whatever. They're like, you know what we're going to do? I got an old, dried-out well in the yard. Throw him down there. They put some ropes on the guy. They lower him down into this well, this abandoned old well. We get to the bottom, there's no water, but they say there's mud at the bottom. There's muck at the bottom. Any of you guys ever lived on a lake? You know things can get... So there's mud and there's muck, okay? Mud is like slip slidey. Muck will eat your shoes, you know what I'm saying? You ever go down the muck, you come up and it's only your sock? That's the muck. And they put Jer- and he just sinks in this mud. And they leave him there. And Babylon is marching against Jerusalem. Jeremiah knows, if I don't get out of this city before the armies get here, I die with everybody. But he's in this, I mean, 10, 15 feet well. You see light at the top, but you're down and you're, it's maybe it's like earth on the sides, and you're slowly just sinking into this muck day by day. And he's left there. So this lament, go back to Lamentations 3. Listen to these words again and understand where he's writing, where he's been. He says, I have been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. I said, I am lost. I called your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. He's not being poetic. He's not saying the pit is a metaphor, but it's also a memory. I was actually in the pit. I remember when the mud began to close up over my head. You imagine just sinking, and you get your legs, then your torso, then your chest, and you're trying to chill. Imagine if it gets to your neck. Imagine if it's down to your neck and it starts raining, and you're hoping to say to yourself, Lord, let the rain not fall too much, because I'm going to drown in this pit, and there's no one here to save me. And when Jeremiah was in this pit, in the mud, sinking with no one on his team, he says, I called on the name of the Lord. When my own people turned against me, when the armies that were enemies were on the march against us, where I had no friends in the world. I called on the name of the Lord. Now, I've never been in a pit, like for real, like Jeremiah style. I've been in sideways pipes, like those, like, give those, those, like, pipes that are, like, on the side of the road. I've called to those on dares, which is already scary enough. But to be in one vertical, so I've never been in a pit. Never been in a pit. We've all been in metaphorical pits. We've all been in moments of life where we felt like, man, I have fallen into trouble and I'm at the bottom of my circumstances and I feel like I'm drowning and I don't know what to do. I can't find any way out. Everywhere I move is just more dead ends. And in that moment of trial and trouble and fear and rising panic, what do we do? Do we panic? Freak out? of us do. Jeremiah encourages us very simply to call upon the Lord. And that is my main point for the whole day today. Is when you get to the bottom, when you have played out your last chance, 
when every road you look down is a dead end. Call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon the Lord. And not just in lip service. Not just, there's this great scene in the movie The Mummy back in the 90s because I'm an old man. There's this great scene where this scary mummy, kids don't watch this movie, where the scary mummy, it's bad CGI nowadays, back then it looked real. It's coming to get somebody. And the guy has this little cross, he, he grabs this cross and prays the Lord's Prayer. And it doesn't work, so he grabs this, this uh, he grabs a Hindu pendant and prays a Hindu prayer. And he grabs the, the Muslim pendant, and, and he's just saying words, hoping one of these words will make the mummy not eat him. Some of us pray this way. Some of us pray like we think it's a magic spell. We hope the words just me are meaningful without any kind of sincerity or relationship behind them. When I call upon the Lord, I don't mean just say words you think are powerful. I mean call upon the God of heaven whom you have met and whom you know to be real. My wife and I lived in India. We went through some hard times. And I was very strong through those hard times. I, 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 I buttressed my heart, and I was strong. I stood, stood tall for my wife, stood tall for the churches. It was hard, hard things we were carrying. And one day I called my mom to tell her what was going on. I was probably 20, 27 years old, 28 years old, 30 years old. Mom, I hear my mom's voice on the phone, long-distance style. And as soon as I hear her voice, all the walls of strength, you know what happens? They all fall down. Cause I, it's like, I was like a basking little kid coming to mama because I scratched my knee, you know what I'm saying? And I do, I was just like, I'm just, just a wreck. When I say call upon the Lord, I mean do that. I mean with desperation with intensity, with need, knowing that I, I cannot do this. I don't have the strength, the will, the wisdom, or the resources to do this thing. God, I need you to save me because I am not going to win. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I need you. Finally get past your own pride and self-reliance and admit the fact, I need the Lord. We pretend we're so strong, and we're not. None of us are. Call upon the Lord. Now, what stops us from calling on the Lord? Maybe it's shame. Maybe you feel ashamed. Maybe like, man, I don't want to call on God again. I called upon him last week, last month, yesterday. Maybe shame keeps you away. Maybe pride. You want to pretend you're big and bad enough. You don't want to ask nobody for nothing. This week, my father-in-law called me, my, my wife's father, and asked me to come help him load up. He's restoring a house in an old neighborhood in the city of Flint, and they want to make it very, like, 1900-ish. You know what I'm saying? So he went and bought on Marketplace a cast iron sink, an old-school cast iron sink. It's like metal, not porcelain, metal. 
And this thing's a big old sink, and it has, on both sides, it has drainage ditches. Like, I don't recall those things. We put things to, like, drain into the, I don't know, not drainage ditches. They're, what do you call them? Drainer. Drainer, strainer, something. He's like, do you want to come help me load this sink? And you know what I wanted to say? I wanted to go, listen, don't you go, you stay at home. I'll do it myself. He goes, you know, it's really heavy. I'm like, ah, do you know your son-in-law? I'm a beast. You know, I can, I can, you know, I can squat. I got this. He's telling me, it, listen, it weighs a lot. I, I wanted to talk a big game, but he's like, two guys. And he, he's so, my, my son-in-law is so, like, nice. So I didn't want to be, like, pushy. So I'm like, okay. So we go there. And guess what I learned? It's a two-man job. Uh, that thing, it's longer than my, like, my wingspan. I couldn't even, like, it's not a matter of weight, it's a matter of grip and balance. And I, I wanted to be proud because I could do it myself, but guess what? You give me a day with that sinking sink, I get in a truck by myself. It's just too unwieldy. I'd probably break in half by the time I got it up there, you know what I'm saying? Some of us, we're proud that we were proud. We don't want to ask for help. We want to pretend we do it ourselves, and we can't. Call upon the Lord. I need you. I need you. And Jeremiah calls on the Lord. He's in the pit. From the pit. I call upon you, O Lord, save me. Verse 56. And you heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you. You said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. So Jeremiah cries out to the Lord, and the Lord hears his cry. The Lord hears his people. That's like the story of the entire Bible, is the Lord hears his people. I'm reading Judges right now, it's a messed up book. And this part where people come to the Lord, the nation comes to the Lord and say, Lord, save us from our oppressors. The Lord says, you've left me for the gods. Call upon them and leave me alone. I'm, I'm, listening, I'm listening in my headphones this morning. I was like, dang. And I was like, God's giving these guys the business. They come to the Lord and say, listen, we deserve your back. We deserve you to turn away from us, but we know we're wrong, and we beg you not to forget us. And it says, and God relented, and God heard their cry, and he helped them. And I was like, man, he's good. The God of heaven is good. The Bible says about him over and over again that he is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. I love that. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. That's the God of heaven. He hears his people, and he is able to answer and all man can he move on behalf of his people's needs. He can move. And because oh, this is our God, if our God listens, and our God is able, and our God moves, why wouldn't we ask him? And not just for the big things. Yeah, at the bottom of the pit, call upon the Lord. But man, even... I have no other metaphors. The pit's so big, it's so deep. Maybe I had a flat tire. Call for the name of the Lord. You know what? No joke, this Wednesday I was going to a meeting in Brighton, 
and the, the car broke. I was driving a car, and the car started breaking down. The car, and he started shaking, and the light came on. It's like, gah, gah, gah. I'm like, oh, no. And I, I got to pull off the highway and nurse. You, got, you, ever, you ever do the thing where you're trying to get off the highway? You go on the shoulder with the, you know, the flashes on. Like, come on, baby, off the highway. And I'm, I, and I'm driving, and there's two, there's two reactions in that moment. Well, that's a lot of reactions. It could be fear. It could be how it's going to cost me. I just bought the thing six weeks ago, so kind of like, stinky dealer, you know. But then beyond all that, I'm like, I need the Lord. So I'm driving, I'm just praying, Lord, get us off this highway. I'm just praying to the Lord. If you took to drove by, they would have seen me just talking, praying. Lord, get me off this highway. And we get off the highway, and it was all okay. Well, it's off the highway anyway. Even the little things call upon his name because he... He listens, he cares, and he is able. He hears his people. I had a mentor once tell me, when we decide not to pray, we're telling the God of heaven, I got this. I got this, God. Don't worry about it. I got this. (laughs) As the song says, I need thee every hour. And every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to thee. Jeremiah calls upon the Lord, and the Lord hears him. We can call upon the Lord. He hears us too. The end of his, his lamentation is very odd for us. He says in verse 59, You've seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You've seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You've heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. You will repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. What's going on in this last part of the lamentation? Okay, let's say you're in a pit. Let's say someone pushed you in that pit or someone threw you in that pit. Because sometimes half of our trauma is the person who traumatized us, right? Half of pain is who done did it. What do you do with that? Jeremiah very wisely teaches us here God makes it right, so we've got to give it to God. That person did us wrong, we've got to give them to God. Like, God, you see what they did? And we should say it. We should say, Lord, they... some of us are Christ- as Christians try to give people a pass, just like, oh, I'm just overreacting. Listen, some things hurt, it's okay to tell God, God, that hurt my feelings. I mean, some things really do hurt. At one time, um, for a week, I was all like angsty and angry at what was going on. I finally started praying about stuff, and turns out, <laughs> so lengthy out loud, turns out a, a good friend did invite me to their wedding, and I hurt my feelings, and I was mad about it. I was real mad about it. I, say, I, I was like, oh, no big deal. I pretended it didn't, hurt, didn't bother me at all, but in my heart, oh, man, I was like, I thought they loved me, kick a dog, you know? Like, I'm not really, I'm just saying. I was in a bad mood. All I'm saying is bad mood. I love puppies. Never good. I never, 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 never. I'm just saying, I had to go to the Lord and go, Lord, this hurt my feelings. I just told him, I, I admitted the feeling. I'm like, Lord, hurt my feelings, I give it to you. 
I don't hold a grudge. I'm not going to get bitter. That's a silly sentence. But there's real examples too. What if someone done did us real bad? They took, they stole from us. They lied about us. They promised to be in our corner and they left. Instead of holding it and nursing it and growing bitter about it, I'm like, Lord, you saw what they did. You, t- you deal with them. You saw what they did to me. You make it right. Now, I always thought Jeremiah was praying against the Babylonians. I always thought Jeremiah, in this, when he says, deal with my enemies, I thought he was talking about the armies of Nebuchadnezzar. I don't think he is now. Because the Babylonians didn't throw him in that pit. His own brothers did that. His own kinsmen did that. He heard their taunts all the day long. He's in that pit, and they're like, hey, man of God, how's it going? Like, like, that's his life. He's like, Lord, you saw what they did to me? They get pouring stuff on me on my head all the time. Like, just he saw what happened to me. You deal with them. And he let it go. He let go of the ju- their judgment. I'm not their judge. I'm not their jury. I'm not their executioner. That's hard to do. It's hard to trust God to deal with the evil. That's part of getting past trauma, though, is letting go of the person who hurts you. Mark Twain once said that bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping it kills the other guy. When I hold, when, I, when that person hurts me, and I think about them, and I ruminate on what they did, and I, it, 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 I, when I sit there living what they've done to me, I'm giving them power over my life still, aren't I? I need to forgive them, not just for their sake, but my, for my own sanity, I've got to forgive them. God, you, they did me wrong. They, they were unjust. They were evil. But God, I trust you to deal with them. I'm, I'm done carrying it. I'm not going to Facebook stalk them no more. I'm not going to get mad every time God, if I see you got a new car, you don't just know a new car, that guy punk, you know, not going to be that way no more. Hate stalk people. We all do it, right? Mad because someone gets something nice and we're like, the person's jerking, we deserve nothing. I'm going to give it away. Lord, you see, you know, I'm done carrying this hate, this anger. They did me wrong. They threw me in this pit. But Lord, you've got to deal with them because you're a better judge than I am. You're a better judge than I am. And we give them to the Lord because God's going to make it right. God makes it right. He does. I said earlier that God hears the cries of his people. It's true. For the whole Bible, God hears his children in slavery since Moses, the deliverer to free them from Egypt. In Judges, I think like 12 times, he sends judges to free them from oppression from foreign nations. And then finally, he sends his son Jesus Christ to free the lost people of the world from their own sin. As our favorite scripture says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He heard the cry of a people lost in their own sin and gave his only son that we may be freed from the penalty and the power of our sin and given a new life in Christ. 
Our Christian life begins by calling on the name of the Lord. Our Christian life begins when we say, I don't deserve God's kindness. I don't deserve God's goodness. I bow my head. Lord, forgive me and save me. That's step one of our Christian life. But every step afterward is very similar. It's always humility coming to God saying, I still can't do it. And I still ain't good enough. And I still need you because you still got it and I still don't. The Christian life is a life of continual repentance and dependence on the Lord God of heaven. And we come to him through his son, Jesus Christ. So I encourage you. You know how, power, you know how much God hears his prayers? Look how much God hears his prayers. He hears the prayers of his people. More times than I can even tell you. I've had the privilege of meeting someone who doesn't believe in Jesus. I've been praying for them. Lord, help them meet you. And we'll sit down together, have coffee, talk about his word, talk about their objections. Like, I don't believe in God for this, this, and this. And we talk for months and months. And I'm praying for, for months and months and months and months. And often, I'm never there on the moment they, they, they confess Jesus. I'm never there when they finally bow their head and become a Christian. I always miss it. And so many times they come to me and like, hey, Pastor, I want you to know something. What's up? I want you to know I'm a Christian now. I'm like, what? Like, when? How? Who? And so many times they say to me, you know, I was at home by myself. I opened up that Bible. I read something. I realized he was real, and I bowed down. And Jesus entered my heart, and I'm a Christian now. Some random person at their house bowed their head, and the Holy Spirit entered into their life, and they became a child of God. Because God hears his people. Heard those random people in their random houses all over the place. They don't need Pastor Nesto there. They don't, need, they don't need anybody there. Just they turn to God. God hears, God comes, and God saves. That's our first step. It's the step we've got to keep making all the days of our lives. So I encourage you, call upon the Lord. When you have trouble, call upon the Lord. When you have need, call upon the Lord. When you're hurting, call upon the Lord. When you're scared, call upon the Lord. He is good, he is able, and he listens. With that said, let us pray. Father in heaven, I don't pretend to know what's in the hearts of the people in this room, the men and the women, the young and the old, We all live here. We've all been in different kinds of pits. We have all been both the victim and the violator. Give us the humility and the freedom and the courage to bow our head and to bow our heart before you, to call upon your name in, in need that we may know the joy of resting in your arms. Help us call upon your name with loving trust and faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. In Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen. Amen God bless you as you go. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.